just down the lane from the house where I grew up in a small village. Uh, there was a little cottage, farm cottage. An elderly man lived there called Mr. Smith. He worked on the farm all his life and he was now retired. He spent all the day tending his garden, which was quite a large one, divided into three parts. He had a flower garden, a vegetable garden, and then a chicken run. And um, it was one of those gardens you envied because every time you looked over the hedge, there was no sight of a weed at all. He spent all day there and every day, um, but always stopped to have a chat with anybody who went past. And inevitably, when you stopped and talked to him, the conversation that sooner or later would turn to the weather. And he had spent years observing the patterns of weather. And if you wanted to know what the weather was likely to be tomorrow, the best thing to do was to take a walk down the lane, have a chat with Mr. Smith. It was far more reliable than turning the radio on and listening to the weather forecast. The people that Jesus lived with uh, knew what it meant when small clouds appeared uh, over the Mediterranean Sea or when the wind veered round to the, west, uh, to, round to the south. Those signs spelt the difference between a wet day or a hot day. But those same people that knew how to tell the signs of the weather weren't quite so clever at telling the signs of the times, as Jesus put it. <clears throat> they weren't easy times. Tony made a reference to that right at the beginning of uh, the prayers of intercession just now. Relationships between Jews and Gentiles were strained. Relationship between the Jewish nation and the Roman occupying power were often on a knife edge, especially as amongst the Jews there were some fanatical patriots and amongst the Romans there were some people who exercised brutal power. And all these things felt danger. But there were many people who couldn't see the danger, even though the signs were staring them in the face. But of course, the clearest sign that there was there in the midst of the people that, when Jesus was there, was the sign that the Messiah was amongst them. And it was that sign that so many people failed to see, even though they'd been praying for a long time for the Messiah. Generations of Jews had prayed for this long-awaited Messiah. It's not always as simple, is it, to look at events that are happening around us or things that may be happening in our lives and to tell what's going on and what God is trying to say to us through these things. It's not as easy to do that as it is to interpret the signs of the weather. Fifty years ago or so, there were three famous Methodist preachers in London Sankster, Dr. Sankster was a minister here, whose name is um, carved on the communion table here. Uh, Leslie Weatherhead was at the City Temple Church, and Donald Soper was the superintendent of the West London Mission that has done so much social work in London over the years. And Donald Soper was a great preacher and a great orator. And um, one Sunday evening, not long after the evening service at Kingsway Hall had finished, part of the ceiling fell in. It was quite a significant collapse. The following morning, Donald Soper rung the chairman of the district uh, and told him what had happened. It was at a time also when the conversations were going on between the Anglican Church and the Methodist Church as to whether we should come together as a united church, a scheme that failed in the end. Uh, Donald Soper had encouraged the people of West Kingsway Hall to ha have a united service every Sunday evening with the local members, the Ang Anglicans at Holy Trinity. 
So when Donald Soper rung the chairman of the district to tell him what had happened, he said to him, of course, some people are saying that this is God's judgment on us. The ceiling has come down because we're flirting with the Anglicans. <laughs> he said there are other people who say that the ceiling has come down because God is telling us to go and join the Anglicans and to leave the place. He said, but I say that it's the power of my preaching that brought the ceiling down. There are often different ways of interpreting the same event. On a much more serious level, of course, sometimes people interpret events and get them very wrong. Sometimes those interpretations can be very bizarre. They suggest, for example, that somebody who's uh, suffered a serious accident is receiving some kind of punishment from God for the, something that they have done, for bad behaviour. Or they speculate that some of the natural disasters that we see around the world, like the hurricane that happened in Haiti uh, several years ago, or the outbreak of Ebola in the West African countries, or the floods in Cumbria, uh, these are some kind of punishment for God for wicked people. Other people read world events and they predict when the world is going to end. Wikipedia at the moment lists about a hundred different dates when people have predicted that the world will come to an end, having read the signs. Ninety of those dates have already passed. They were wrong. At the beginning of this passage, you see, Jesus talks about the importance of reading the signs and interpreting the times. But then in the early verses of chapter 13 that Echo went on to read, um, Jesus um, gives a little warning because it's at that point that some people come to Jesus and say well what about these Galileans and they're referring to some Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with their sacrifices we don't have any information about this event whatever it was that happened uh, but obviously Pilate who was the Roman governor uh, was responsible for some kind of religious persecution on an occasion when some Jews were saying their prayers and they were slaughtered and in the last five years, there are Christians in Kenya and Nigeria, Alabama, Pakistan, who've had similar sort of experiences. People have been killed in their place of worship. And the question addressed to Jesus was obviously, were these people being punished for their wickedness? And Jesus gives a very, very clear answer, no. And then Jesus offered another example. He referred to something else that had happened, a tower that had collapsed, the Tower of Siloam, a tower that collapsed. Uh, 18 people were killed. Again, we don't know anything about that incident. We don't have it, seem to have any other records from it from other sources. Um, and Jesus poses the question, were those 18 people who were killed more wicked than everybody else who lived in Jerusalem at the time? And once again, Jesus gives a very clear answer, no. You see, on the one hand, Jesus is encouraging people to try and watch out for the signs of the times, to interpret what is happening, to try and understand what God might be saying to them. But at the same time, he's saying it's very easy to get it wrong. He's warning them about making bizarre kinds of judgments about things that have happened. And he's particularly warning them about arriving at any kind of interpretation of events that makes them bring some sort of judgment on somebody else. 
you know, one of the most public judgmental statements and interpretations of events that I think I've heard in my lifetime was made about 30 or 40 years ago, uh, and it's still quoted sometimes. It was made by a man called James Anterton, who was at the time the Chief Constable of Greater Manchester. He was a good policeman, and he arrived in the city of Manchester pretty determined to try and deal with some of the drug and uh, crime, um, gun crime that was going on there uh, massively at the time. But he was a Christian, and sadly he was a Christian who, as the time went on, developed a kind of hellfire and damnation theology. And it was at the period when AIDS, the AIDS virus was becoming very newsworthy. And he referred publicly to people who were suffering from AIDS or HIV as people who were floundering around in a cesspool of their own making. That, of course, brought screams, uh, cries of horror from all sorts of people. And you can almost uh, hear Jesus saying to that, no, no, no. Of course, there are certain lifestyles that bring certain kind of consequences. But some kind of blanket statement encompassing guilty and non-guilty alike is not the kind of thing that Jesus indulges in. And as James Jones, the former Bishop of Liverpool, says in a book on suffering, it is just entitled Suffering, it's a book I can warmly recommend to you, uh, he says in that book, God doesn't strut about like some kind of peeved deity throwing tantrums and deliberately hurting those who fail to keep his commandments. So it's important that when we try to understand the signs of the times and the events that are happening around us, when we try to interpret what's going on, we don't do it in some kind of random way. And we don't do it in a way that enables us to bring some kind of judgment on other people. What is more important is that we try and understand the signs of the times, the events around us, the things that are happening to us, in a way that affects how we behave, which is the point, as it seems to me, of those closing verses uh, in our reading this morning, when Jesus came to tell the parable of the fig tree, the fig tree that failed to bear fruit, and in a way, Jesus is saying at this point, never mind uh, other people, never mind trying to conjecture why what has happened to other people has happened to them. Look to yourselves. And using this imagery of growth, the imagery of the vine, would have been something that was very familiar to the people that Jesus was talking to because uh, they'd been brought up with this picture, this image of Israel being the vine the people that God had chosen, chosen for a purpose and chosen for a purpose to demonstrate what it was like to live an obedient life for God and to be blessed by him uh, and to demonstrate that to the rest of the world. Prophets had often used this image and it would, would, would have been there in their consciousness. They had been called and chosen in order to be able to bear fruit. And it's an image that should be, we should be familiar with as Christians as well because when Jesus spoke about himself being the vine, he spoke about us being the branches and of expecting much fruit. 
And we shall hear a bit more about this later on in the year uh, when we come to the Sundays after Pentecost. Um, if you look at the new preaching plan that has come out, you'll see that there is a series of Sunday morning sermons uh, which are entitled Fruitful Practices. We are meant to be a fruitful people. So when we read the signs of the times, when we try to interpret what's going on round about us, when we try to understand what is happening in our lives, make some kind of sense of it all, um, how do we go about this in a way that enables us to be more fruitful Christians? It is certainly not a matter of trying to come up with some kind of bizarre explanations or pinpointing a date when the world will end. And certainly not of bringing some kind of condemnation and judgment on other people. But of knowing what God is saying to us and how he wants us to react, respond and be fruitful. I remember being challenged when I was quite a young minister by a local preacher. Local preacher I got to know quite well. He wasn't a great academic scholar, but he was a pretty shrewd observer of events. He read his Bible, he said his prayers, and you sense that somehow his heart was close to God. And I remember him speaking at one on one occasion about the movement of immigration that was going on at the time that was bringing many people from the subcontinent of India to this country, people from India and people from Pakistan, very much to work in some of our cotton mills and wool, woolen mills and so on. Of course, there were economic reasons why they came here. They needed better a standard of living. They needed work. They were coming to fill jobs that were unfilled in some of our mills. But Sam saw something deeper in this movement that was going on. And I heard him say to a congregation, I think more than once, for many years, you people have given money and you have prayed that people there on the continent of subcontinent of India might come to know the love of God now God is sending them to you and saying do you really love them that was a challenging statement and it was a challenging interpretation of events that meant that we had to do something about it and respond and I find I am challenged sometimes on a personal level too I find I need to be challenged when things go wrong. Perhaps when things go wrong in our family circles, things go wrong in all family circles, or things go wrong in something that I'm doing. Um, how do I respond? Do I interpret the events by analysing who said what and who did what and who didn't do as they should have done? There's plenty of room, isn't there, for armchair analysis. You can, you can sit back and put the world to rights without any difficulty. But if something difficult happens in my immediate circle, I need to do something more than simply analyse the situation. I need to realise that God is calling me to respond in some kind of a way that will be fruitful. We aren't called to interpret events by simply analysing the situation, discovering the cause, perhaps offering blame or calling down blame on somebody else. What we need to do is to realise that God wants us to be fruitful, 
to see how his love and his grace can be brought to bear on the situation in and through us. It might involve trying to understand why somebody is behaving as they are. It might involve saying something. It might involve being silent when it would be rather easier to say something. It might involve offering to help. And that challenge comes to all of us, whether it's a world situation, international situation, the massive situation of crisis we have with refugees by the hundreds of thousands wandering across the face of the earth at the moment, or it might come in some family upheaval or some personal crisis in our lives. How do we read the signs of the times? How do we interpret events? And remembering the way that Jesus approached the subject in this gospel passage this morning, we do well to avoid the bizarre kind of interpretations. Forget the business of bringing the calendar out and trying to pinpoint the date when the world ends. And forget the business of trying to see who's to blame and pinning the blame on them and saying that this is God's judgment here. The challenge and the appropriate question to ask is what is God saying to us? What's God saying to me? What does he want me to hear? What does he want me to see? And what does he want me to do? Let's just spend a moment in prayer. And focus for a moment on those things that perhaps we're trying to make some sense of. Whether it's looking at something in our local community. Something in our personal or family life. Or something on the international front. Lord Jesus, we pray that you will help each one of us to observe the world around us. To reflect on the things that are happening to us. And give us wisdom to understand the signs of the times and to be able to interpret the events. Save us from bizarre and unhelpful interpretations. And save us from assuming that warnings of the need for action apply only to other people. Give us the sensitivity to hear what you may be saying to us through the events around us and help us to understand how we should respond. May we be perceptive, wise, humble and act with an obedient heart for your love's sake. Amen.